Yes, a prophet is someone who speaks for God, speaks God's word, and fundamentally, or at least uh, percentage-wise, for the most part, they're sent for, to give warnings, to bring warnings. They do also foretell of future events, things that are going to come to pass, especially as it relates to God's plan, the larger redemptive story, as we call it. But as I said, for the most part, their message was warning in nature. Here's what God has commanded. Here's what you are doing. That's angering him. And here's what's going to happen if you choose to stay this course. Prophets' messages were always intended or meant to do what? bring correction, right? The goal of a prophet's message would always be for the people to hear the truth of their warning, see the misalignment in their life, repent and return to the ways of God. For the God of the Bible has always been super clear that relationship with him is shaped by his ways. His people are called to be holy because he is holy. So um, there's great clarity that comes when we read the prophets. Unfortunately, they're just not read very often. But there's a ton of really great clarity that comes when, when we look at them. So we're going to start in Jeremiah 1. Right after I pray, we're going to read these first 13 verses. Father, we just declare you are the one true living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, there is no God besides you. No God equal to you. Every other God is an idol. We recognize your word as truth, and we desire sanctification by your truth. So we pray for ears to hear in the Spirit. the things of God revealed by the text. We pray against any defensiveness. Any offense. We pray for nothing but soft hearts and ears to receive. May your word come forth like a fire and like a hammer to break away the rocks, the idols, the strongholds, the deceptions, anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, we pray be exposed by your word, that your saints may be sanctified, draw closer unto you. We thank you for the prophets. We thank you for their boldness. We thank you for their obedience to play the hard part they played. We thank you for the willingness of each of them to speak your words without compromise. May we hear you through them today.
In Jesus' name, amen. I was chatting with Karen Andrew last weekend about the prophets and just mentioned, um, you know, how difficult their job must have been because they did not have the word. It was just a man speaking to a nation claiming that it was God. <laughs> Messages of warning and correction and it's like, man, that's a tough, tough job. Here I am with the word. And all I got to do is hide behind it and read it together. And I still have nerves about that. So I honor the prophets for their courage. That God made them to have foreheads like flint. All right, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1, 1 through 13. Someone want to read that for us? Michael, you gave me the eyebrows, so I knew you were willing. Okay, so Jeremiah prophesied to the nation of Israel during the kingship of Josiah. That's an important detail. Go ahead, sir. He came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. What does sanctified mean? Set you apart. So key to prophets playing their part and fulfilling their assignment was to have no fear of man. Continue. And the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and we recognize Jeremiah 1.10 as always the order of a move of God. 
the order of a move of God is always to do really two things. And the first is elimination or pruning or cleansing or repenting or removing. So as a prophet is getting ready to work, his first work is always to get rid of all the garbage. This is how God always works. Why? Because he's never going to build anything on a false or fake or polluted or broken foundation. So everything's got to get stripped of the dirt so that what are, what are uh, what's the second piece? Build and plant. So there's six things there. Root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. That's all elimination or removal or repentance or rejection or pruning or cleansing. And then once those things are done, we plant or we build and we plant. That's just a super important principle how God's always going to deal with us. Do not think that if the primary message that the Holy Spirit is giving you is constantly that's no longer for you, do not think that's unique or unusual to the way God works. That's almost exclusively the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's not for you anymore. That's fake. That's false. That's a lie. That's a deception. That's a compromise. That's an idol. It's not getting beat down. It's being sanctified and strengthened and built up. So when a prophets do this, it's the same thing. It's just on a national level. Go ahead, Michael. What needs to be torn down? Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, You are seeing well, for I am ready to perform my word. Okay, now fast forward to um, fast forward to um, two thirteen. So he, he just said basically the, 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 the people have turned, right? And and the rest of one and and primarily um, two you hear the, the real lament of the prophet, the, co the common lament of the prophet, which is just God's done all of these things for you and you have just forsaken him. Forsaken him, turned your back on him, left him, forgot him, and always manifest by what? The taking on of idols, the taking on of false gods. The one thing that the one true living God stands the most against and he completes the, the teaching with verse 13, which is sort of the, the culmination summary of, of how it always works. So what's the prophet say in 2.13, Michael? For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold all right, so let's summarize. Jeremiah the prophet is called. God said, before you were born, I called you, I sanctified you, and I've appointed you to be prophet to the nation so you can fear no man. Whatever words I put in your mouth, you must speak them. And as he speaks, he says what? The pot's turned. 
the people have turned. Their back is now to the Lord. They have forsaken him, and that is manifested in hewning for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water because we're always going to have a God. Every one of us are always going to have a God. It's either going to be the one true living God or it's going to be a broken God. Right? So he was prophesying during whose kingship? Josiah. That's an important point. Okay, so now let's go to 2 Kings. And we're going to read chapter 23. Some of chapter, most of chapter 23. All right, let's start with the first nine verses of chapter 23. 2 Kings. What's that? Okay, now what's unique about that text? Josiah's been made king, and he's very young at this point. I think he was like 16 or 14 or something crazy. He was already prophesied that he was going to break down false altars and burn the bones of idolaters on those altars. That had already been prophesied. And so he takes, um, he takes over at a young age, and the first things that he does is he goes into the temple and he cleans it. Okay, we're actually talking about the temple. And he cleans the temple, and in the process of cleaning the temple, he finds the Bible. Meaning what? It had been lost. Think of that. This is God's chosen people living in the promised land in which the temple is still built, has not been destroyed at this point. And this king who has been put in leadership at a young age hears the words of a prophet speaking and responds to them. Responds to the words, the warning of the prophet who said, my people are forsaking God. They've turned their back on him. They've rejected the fountain of living water and they're building for themselves cisterns that can hold no water. And so Josiah starts off by going in and cleaning the temple, finding the Bible or the word or the scriptures or the scrolls, and he reads it in their hearing because it's been found and hasn't been read for so long. Go ahead, Angie. bring out of what out of the temple 
Josiah is telling the priests to pull out of the temple what exactly? Idols. Idols that are being worshipped in God's temple. This is one man that's having the courage to listen to one warning of one of God's prophets speaking the truth. And he's responding to the truth. Not in defense, not in justification, not in excuses. He's seeing the truth of what's being said and he's responding to it. And, and, and what do prophets always start with? You gotta root out and pull down, destroy and, and tear down. It's always a cleansing first. So what's Josiah doing? He's cleaning house. Literally cleaning house. Go ahead, Angie. If you continue in chapter 23, you just get more specifics. He goes on from there to go to Bethel and tear down the altar that Nabat built. He goes from there to the high places where Solomon had built altars because of all of his um, pagan wives that turned his heart at the end of his life. So he just goes throughout the land obeying what the prophet told him to do to root out and pull down and destroy and tear down everything that offends the God of the Bible. And then, he, and then once, the, once the, the slate is wiped clean, he commands the people to do what? Keep Passover. The first time that had been done, it says in, I can't remember how long, since the time of the judges. The time of Judges. Well, an eight-year-old with the courage to stand for the truth, to expose sin where he sees it, to call it out with no fear of man, and only a heart to see the God of the Bible worshipped in spirit and in truth. That's inspiring to me. And that is precisely what I believe we have prayed for.
the boldness to do the same. Starting in our homes, next in this congregation, and after that, wherever the Lord puts us. And so last week when we um, were looking in Acts chapter 4, go there with me, we noticed that after Peter and John were arrested and told they had to shut up because they were speaking the truth to people that didn't want to hear it, They were arrested, then released, then met back up with their peeps, and their peeps prayed one more time. For what? Boldness. Boldness to do what? Speak the truth. And the interesting note in the text in verse 29 and 30 Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, 29 through 31. Now, Lord, this is the prayer they made. Now, Lord, look on on the threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak what? Your word. By the stretching out of your hand to heal that the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was what? Shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. If we stop there, we might, we might think that their, the prayer was answered so that boldness would come through them in the sign in the form of signs and wonders right but that's not what the text says how does it end what is the boldness that they received boldness to speak his word what word are we talking about what word did they have at that time okay this is this is acts chapter 4 there is no new testament at this time they're speaking the scriptures, the prophets, the Psalms, the Torah. That's the only Bible they had. The primary thing going on in the book of Acts is what? The spreading of the gospel. In order to spread the gospel, they had to speak the text, the word of God with boldness. That's what, that was the answer to the prayer. And it said, because of the boldness that was given, as the prayer was answered, there was a shaking that was going on. And I've been just compelled by that for the last couple of weeks. Compelled by the boldness that's required to be a true and faithful and believable witness is boldness to speak God's word. And that's what we've prayed for, and that's what we've been given, and that's what I'm to remind us all. We are going to have opportunities to walk out with an awareness that we've been empowered.
to speak the truth. So the first area of truth that we are discussing is the super popular one of, of exposing sin in the church. The super comfortable, super popular, super easy one of confronting sin. Right, and, and so um, so heading into this specific assignment, not just on me, by the way, but on all of us, to recognize the exposing of sin as real love, to recognize the exposing of sin as necessary and important, and incredibly beneficial to the body of Christ. Um, he reminded me and reminded us of one of the reasons it's, it's to be seen as an act of love and one of the reasons it's to be understood as an act of love in particular for the men is because of the way that the God of the Bible deals with men and men dealing with God's commandments. And what God says about himself is to the man that is, hates God and continues in iniquity, God is gonna visit the consequences of that sin on his kids and their kids and their kids' kids. That's just the God of the Bible speaking about himself. It is a visiting, as we talked about last week, it is not a permanent thing but it's part of the judgment on men who continue in sin to have to watch it affect their kids. And that is the worst kind of punishment there is, if you ask me. It's because God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? So we just have to have the courage to read and hear and respond to what's written. So I've been for two weeks, and last week in particular, like really praying into, all right, God, you're, we ask for boldness. You said that boldness right now is going to be used to confront sin in the church. And now you're showing us um, that men's sin in particular is extremely costly. So I start praying into what sin needs to be exposed. And the first thing the Lord tells me is what? Sabbath. So the commandment is Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The continuation of the commandment speaks to one of the primary ways in which we do that. And what do we do? What are we doing? We are remembering that the Sabbath is already holy and doing something in order to keep it that the way in which we keep the Sabbath day holy. What is holy, by the way? Set apart, distinct, different, belongs to God. It's set apart unto God, so it's supposed to be different. One of the primary ways in which that set apart day remains different is by us not doing any customary work and having a holy convocation, which is the gathering of the saints. Okay, that's Exodus 20, verse 8. That's Leviticus 23, verse 3. And then the... By, exam by way of example, the, the, the specific purpose for the convocation 
is for the study of doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, and worship. We learn that by way of example in Acts chapter 2. When they gathered, it was, it was gathering for that purpose. The study of the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God. Fellowship, which is being together. Breaking bread, both here and in meal. Praying together and worshiping together. So, why would this be the first one the Lord brings me to? And I recognize, yes, I'm asking you guys to trust that one I prayed, and two, this is what he said. Because I don't want to do it. But it's led me to do something very important. And it's not unlike what Josiah did. But basically to get back in the text and study what's written about this commandment in particular. And one of the things that um, the prophets, one of the values that they bring so much is, is um, it's God's voice clarifying why certain things are so important to him and why the rejection of certain things is so costly. So one of the things that I was convicted of as, as I dug into, all right, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to talk about Sabbath. Um, it's, it's within the context of exposing sin within the church. Okay, this is a big deal. And by the way, I realize in many ways I'm preaching to the choir in this congregation, but, it's for, but this message is for the church. Just like Josiah's message was not just for his immediate people right this message is for the church so um i go back to ezekiel 22 and i want you guys to read with me another prophet's language regarding sabbath and as we said last week um when the prophets spoke their message regarding the people of God forsaking God um, was general for the most part. My people have forsaken me. My people have rejected me. They have, um, they no longer keep my commandments. They no longer walk in my ways. Those are fairly general exposings. But if you look at exposings by specific name, Sabbath by far is the most common one, by far. So in other words, there's general warnings about general sin, just not keeping God's commandments, but then there's very specific commandments. And as it relates to the very specific commandments that are being broken and that are being named, Sabbath is by far number one. And that was a great reminder to me as this is the first one God brings me to, Sabbath is almost a forgotten commandment, right? It's just, no one cares about Sabbath. No one understands Sabbath, no one knows about Sabbath, and very few people keep Sabbath. So why would this be the first one God brings me to? Well, part of the revelation to me is Sabbath has always been a big deal. By God's own mouth, through the prophets, it's always been 
big for him. And so I get reconvicted because um, Ezekiel 22 speaks about leaders and leaders' roles in things like Sabbath. So read this with me. Read um, Exodus, uh, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 22, verses 26, uh, I'm sorry, 23 through 26. Ezekiel 22, 23 through 26. Please. Who's son of man? Ezekiel, son of man. We're not talking about Jesus here. This is Ezekiel, a prophet. The one who was to have a forehead like flint so that he could speak the truth. The one who did not want to speak the truth, but decided to speak the truth. This is what it sounds like. He's, speaking to, he's getting ready to speak about leaders right now. Okay, who's there, who's, who are they talking about there? Who in particular? But, who, but who's the false prophets? The false prophets in Israel that are doing what? And only benefiting themselves. Okay, they're creating for themselves. They're doing for themselves. And as they do for themselves... The people are suffering. This is what the prophet is bringing exposure to. Read that verse again, Kirby, and continue. These are the ministers, by the way. These are the ones claiming to be speaking for God. Another translation there says, the priests have done violence against my law. Who are the priests supposed to be? The teachers, the pastors, the ministers. The ones that are specifically in place to teach the people of God about the things of God. God is bringing awareness through a real prophet that the fake ministers are doing violence against God's law. They're violating God's law. They're not teaching God's ways. They're not teaching God's commandments. And, the, and there's a general way in which this takes place that's just about to be exposed. Kirby? That's the, that's the fault of the leaders that's causing for the whole land to be cursed. What's, what are they not doing? They're not distinguishing the things of God from the common things. They're just letting anything go and everything go. Everything's mixed. Everything's okay. Everything's cool. Don't offend. What's that? Be super politically correct. 
right? And at the heart of that, at the heart of failing to distinguish holy things from common things falls what? Sabbath. Why? Because Sabbath is holy. It's not a day of rest, saints. The Sabbath is a holy day. It's already that because God made it so. Our job is to do what? Remember that and keep it that way. So if no priest in the land is distinguishing the holy from the unholy, that some things belong to God and some things are common, if no priest is, is teaching that, then how are the people supposed to know it? They don't. How are the people supposed to keep it? They won't. Is this happening in the, in the church today? Holy cow. So there's nothing new under the sun. I'm basically affirmed, I would say, in my own heart that I'm just hearing correctly from the Lord right now. That he's, that he's dealing with Sabbath, that he's exposing Sabbath. And, and why am I affirmed? Because that's what he's always done. Because he said so. I get to hide behind the word. I get to honestly share with you all, this just isn't my opinion. This just isn't my observation. This just isn't my experience, although it is all three of those things. This is God's word and God's way. And it always has been. Sabbath has always been sort of a, a battle. The, the tip of a, of a battle. And, and today there's, um, there's more clarity about it because, because this is the season we're in right now. I got to continue to remind myself, what season are we in? We're in a season of boldness. But it's not fundamentally boldness that this is about. It's about love. And sometimes real love requires boldness, especially in confronting sin. Why? Because all sin destroys. All sin hurts. All, all sin costs. All sin separates. All sin divides, right? And I'm focusing primarily on dads and men today, right now, because our sin appears to be extra costly. Right? So when I pray, God, what sin needs to be exposed, that the men need conviction regarding the first thing he brings up is Sabbath, and I am forced to get in the word and be reminded, yep, Sabbath is a big deal. And now let's, now let's look at why it's such a big deal. Exodus 31, 12 through 18. This is just for clarity's sake. The word of God says, give me understanding that I might not sin against you. There is understanding to be grasped regarding Sabbath that gives it the weight and the significance that it needs to have. Sabbath is intended for specific things, to do specific things, to expose specific things, to accomplish specific things. Right, so let's be reminded of this. Someone please, 12 through 18 of Exodus 31. 
the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath day of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And so when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the, of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Amen. So give us eyes to see, Lord, the truth regarding Sabbath. The old covenant is always going to sound just like this, right? It's always going to be obey this law or die, right? The new covenant says, I have made you alive by putting my heart and my spirit in you. And now those two things are going to move you to keep the same law, but for all the right reasons and for all the right purposes. I'm going to give you my divine nature to walk in my ways, right? So when we hear anyone who doesn't do the Sabbath shall surely be put to death, right? That's how the old covenant's always going to sound. But what's the, what's the new covenant say? It's a better ministry. It's better promises because God found a way for his very nature to be available to his people. Does the law change? No, it never does. It never will. It's perfect. It's in place until heaven and earth pass away. Right? So, so, so what can we take from the text regarding the consequences of not keeping the Sabbath? It ain't to kill. That's the old way. But something is spoken about there that will be a consequence of not keeping the Sabbath. Did you notice it? It says, anyone that doesn't keep the Sabbath will be cut off from my people. What do you suppose that that means? Disconnected. Right? That's a major deal. If we're called to love one another, if we're called to do life together, right? If we're called to be the saints, this Sabbath becomes one of the ways that we stay connected. So inevitably, it, it's constantly going to be the pattern that if you choose to forsake the Sabbath, you're not going to be connected to the body in any way. It's just a natural consequence. Right? We can take that from the text because Sabbath is significant. And the text teaches what it accomplishes. So if it says, if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're cut off from the people, then the opposite needs to be understood. As we do keep the Sabbath, we connect. We are connected. We have togetherness. We know about what's going on in each other's lives. We know about where we're hurting. We know about where we're 
rejoicing. We know about needs. We know about opportunities. We know about sin, so it can be exposed. This is one of the reasons why Sabbath is so big. One of the reasons why the holy convocation of the saints of God is so important. What else does it say? A Sabbath is to be what? A sign. A sign what? Between God and his people. That's a big deal. Signs are critically important to our witness. Right? That's a big reason all this is being shown to us. Our witness matters. Well, the fact that the saints of God hold the same day as holy, that's supposed to communicate something. So every time we choose to forsake that for any reason, that sign, that witness that it's supposed to be is just eliminated. It's removed. What else does it say? It's a perpetual covenant, which means it goes on forever. What's it do for us? It reminds us to whom we are being sanctified. Did you catch that? What's the verse say specifically? It's a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that sanctifies you. I encourage you, read that sentence 50 times. Because it's easy to miss what's being said there. Sabbath, some way, somehow reminds you and I that it's to God that we are being called. That it's to him that we are being separated. All right, so here's the truth, saints. If you are not honoring the Sabbath, if you are not keeping the Sabbath, that benefit, that Sabbath is, that is to teach us and remind us and help us experience and take hold of the truth that is to God that we are being separated, we lose that somehow. And if we are not being separated to God, guess what? The fountain of living water, we are going to be separated to a broken fountain or a broken cistern that can hold no water. Meaning what? I don't think it's an overstatement to say that if you are not keeping the Sabbath, take a look at what you are doing on the Sabbath, and whatever you are doing, you are being drawn to that thing, whatever it is. Are you hearing me? Take a look at your Sabbath. It will reveal to what you are being drawn Or if I could be so, go so bold, take a look at your Sabbath and it will reveal your God. Hallelujah. Give us ears to hear. I remember when we um, were given the revelation from the Lord about um, our Oregon vacations. And this was a handful of years ago, but we had a, a couple of those trips that the fruit from them was not good. And uh, as we 
Diane and I prayed into it and discussed it. We were really shown that we were, we were taking a vacation from God when, when we went on our trips. And so we, um, we recommitted to not let that happen. And, and one of the ways in which we, we recommitted to doing that is to honor the Sabbath while we were on vacation. And uh, I can remember we, we, we attempted to do that a couple times just on our own, and it's hard. It was difficult to do that. So we found it beneficial to go to a holy convocation on vacation. And we had some pretty awesome experiences doing that, just being around the people of God. Praying with people we don't normally pray with. Worshiping with people that are fun to watch worship. <laughs> uh, it's so, it's, yeah, we've got some, we've had some awesome experiences. But I share that because God's ways are perfect. And every time we take a small step outside of them, there's cost and consequences. And every time we take a small step in the right direction, there's great benefit. So it reminds me of, in Matthew 18, uh, let's read this real quick. Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. Someone read that out loud, nice and loud for me, please. Matthew 18, 10 through 14. Verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has gone, if a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains? If you should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Okay, so I've always interpreted this teaching through the lens of evangelism. And I think that there is clear, correct application as it relates to evangelism in this text. But I've also come to recognize a further application or a further understanding as it relates to discipleship and sanctification. And, um, and in particular, when I look at the text in John 10, when, when Jesus says that a good shepherd protects the sheep, a hireling runs when the wolf comes, so, so what if a, a further application of Matthew 18 takes the hundred sheep being one person in a hundred different areas of their life? Now, now the teaching means of all the area in, in, in all the areas of your life that are the 99 that are not wandering, those are all the areas of your life that you have obedience in that you have clarity and and alignment in they're just the ways they're just the areas of life where you're walking in god's ways not perfectly but but 
consistently and with intention and with good fruit. And, and, and you know, we could sit around and talk about and, and pat each other on the back about those 99 ways and we'd all feel super good about ourselves. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of church services look like. But what Jesus teaches in the, in the text is that it's actually way more beneficial to leave that area that's already in place and go to the wandering spot or the wandering one or the, or the, or the deception that's being believed or the idol that's in place or the rebellion that you keep holding on to. That, to. that to go there and to see that area aligned through re repentance and, and, and returning, that, that that is a cause for great rejoicing. Right? And, and I don't think we even get to experience that very often in the church because we're afraid to do it. And I'm just being re-convicted that it's only a hireling that is going to sit around and pat each other on the back and, and, and never expose where the wandering is going on. In each of us. You guys seeing that with me? I think it's... I think God is really realigning my whole understanding of ministry, my whole understanding, especially of pastoring. Like that is my job, to look for those areas. I can't do that if I don't know you. I can't do that if we don't do life together. I couldn't do that if this was a 200 person congregation where it'd be very difficult. But praise God, we do know each other and praise God we can and should see those areas of wandering. And keep praying for me to have the courage to go after the one in each of you. I pray that each of you would have the courage to, to do the same for me. I don't want pats on the back. I don't want to be reminded of what I'm doing right. All that's gonna do is lead to pride. I want to be shown where I'm blind or rebellious or wandering. And we were just talking about all the, all the Proverbs and the Psalms that speak about that really being the sign of someone who has understanding and, and wisdom to desire to know where you're in sin, to desire to know where you're wandering, the desire to know where you're rebelling. And I pray we all embrace that truth that if we are in, or as we are shown sin in our life, if we immediately defend against it, what's the Bible call that? Foolishness, folly. You turn that offense into scoffing now you're in real trouble. And I have to be totally honest, I fear that response. I fear that if I boldly expose that people are dishonoring the Sabbath, that their response is going to be, I'm gone. 
I just believe that that's a possible response that people are going to have. So this is where I have to have the courage to hide behind God's word and say this isn't me or my opinion. This is the truth of God shared as an act of love to bring alignment where there's sin and there will be much rejoicing for repentance and returning for those that have the wisdom to see it and receive it. So here's how I'm going to end. Because there's two areas that the Lord is showing me we have sin regarding the Sabbath. And when a man walks in sin, consistently, especially after he knows the truth, the consequences of that iniquity are, are visited upon his kids. So it has to be exposed. And the reality and one of the reasons Sabbath is such a hot point and is such a battle is because I believe you cannot transgress the Sabbath unless you have already transgressed at least one of the commandments that come before it. And whereas Sabbath may appear to be a little commandment or a forgotten commandment, or an unimportant commandment, that's not the case for God. So the way that I believe I'm to bring weight to the commandment of remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is because if you choose to not do that, it's because you've already broken one of the first three commandments. And those ones do have weight currently in our human minds. Okay, so here's the, here's the exposing of the commandments or the, the, the breaking of Sabbath that I'm to expose and that I pray God each of us would pray into, reflect on, and respond to if necessary. Okay, if you are taking the Sabbath lightly, and not honoring it and specifically not coming to this gathering for really unimportant reasons, it's because you've already broken commandment number three. If you are not honoring the Sabbath or not coming to the Holy Convocation because you have something else you have put in its place, you're breaking commandment one. And I would say if you're regularly breaking commandment three and or commandment one, you're also breaking commandment number two because you're deceiving yourself into believing that the God of the Bible is okay with either of those. That's a false God. I pray that we would have ears to hear, that the Holy Spirit would convict where conviction is needed and that there would be repentance and a returning to the ways of God that we might all rejoice greatly. In Jesus' name, amen.